0: This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. In this message, we go through another section in the book of Romans, where Pastor Andy will talk with us on how to get off of the downward spiral that comes with sin. Enjoy the message.
1: Welcome back, Emmanuel, to church online. We're so excited that you can be with us on this Sunday morning again on week four of Empires Volume one, uh, hey! If you hadn't heard, three weeks time, first Sunday in August, August the second, Emmanuel Kids returns to both of our services. So for the families out there, you've been waiting for Emmanuel Kids. It is coming three weeks time. Uh, be on the lookout. We're gonna send you some more information on what to expect uh, in our environments. Uh, As I said, we're continuing Empires Volume 1, when the fourth week last week, Tom talked about God's wrath. It was a good one. Uh, You never knew that talking about God's wrath was so interesting, but it's so vital in understanding why we need God's mercy. And today we're going to continue from that. Uh, We're going to look at the downward spiral of what it looks like when we are intent on being our own boss. We're intent on living outside of God's will. And so I do want to. Forewarn you if you have kids in the room, you might want to try and emanuel kids in a, another room because we are going to talk about some mature subject matter today that you, you might not want their ears to hear. So, if that's the case, give you a few seconds, go get uh, emanuel kids revved up in another room, and we can go there, all right? Okay, so uh, hopefully you're doing what you need to do. Uh, But, you know, when we think of a downward spiral, when we think of somebody doing their own thing, going their own way, it reminds me of a city we have here in America called Sin City Las Vegas. Now I've mentioned previously that uh, my brother for 10 years lived in Las Vegas. He was in uh, the Air National Guard at Nellis Air Force Base and then he was also a leader of a McDonald's off Vegas Boulevard. He uh, operated one of those McDonald's. And he has story upon story in that McDonald's. In fact, one of his regular customers was Flavo Flav. If you don't know who he is, there's a picture of him. He even came with the big clock around his neck. True story. you uh, would have regular people come on in, but we did also have people that would come in that were just were homeless or they were people that were uh, just not seen as desirable in the in the city and my brother would take them in and he would often employ them and and the idea of being be able to poor people that were Told no other place of of employment to pour into them and to see them uh, rise up and become uh, employees that had self-dignity, but also uh, really saw that they could uh, move up uh, in the organization. It was really cool seeing my brother do that. Another thing that he did I thought was absolutely awesome Um, is that uh, he began to lead other leaders of other McDonald's around Las Vegas to the Lord and even to church. There was like a mini revival when I was attending Las Vegas within the McDonald's. Now, I wish I could say that about the Las Vegas Strip. The Las Vegas Strip is the area where all the tourists go. It's where all the lights are. It's where all the casinos. It's where all the shows are at. And no, I say this every time, but just so you know, I never gambled when I was in Las Vegas. All right. But there were plenty of people that were. Now, one of the things that we were going to do on the Las Vegas Strip is that The Price is Right was traveling around at this uh, period of time. And it is my dream to come on down on The Price is Right. It was my dream to do it with Bob Barker, but he's retired, whatever. But here's the thing. I was still going to go to this traveling show. So we got tickets and Allison and I and Aaron and, and Rhiannon and his wife. Uh, we were strolling down the strip to go to The Price is Right traveling show. And as we went down the strip, I saw the most troubling, odd, bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. In fact, there was a bootleg Elmo with crossed eyes. Uh, There was bootleg Kooky Monster. There was bootleg Big Bird. There's bootleg Transformers. And there was bootleg Buzz Lightyear. And they were all very, very frightening. I don't know why they think kids would ever want to get pictures of them. They were just frightening uh, bootlegs. Uh, I also was asked by a really creepy man if I wanted to meet some women. I showed him my wedding ring and Allison showed him her fist. I kid you not, it was, Totally awesome. Uh, you know, I saw a soccer mom of maybe about 50 years old buy drugs on the street, and I saw a girl that was so drunk that her head was completely in a trash can puking their guts out. And that was just all within one stroll with one block. It was absolutely crazy. But you know the craziest thing that I saw? The craziest thing I saw on the Las Vegas Strip was an idol literally an eight-armed idol and somebody was actually bowing down and chanting and worshiping to it. And so I nudged Aaron, my brother, I said, look, someone's actually bowing down to an idol. This is crazy. I can't believe I'm seeing this in Vegas. And my brother's like, Andy, why are you surprised that someone's actually bowing down to an idol? You've literally walked past 100 idols going down the street. You've you've gone, you've you've seen the, the idol of wealth. You've seen the idol of lust. You've seen the idol of drugs. And he's right. We may be surprised when someone bows down to a physical idol. We don't really see that all that often, but in reality, our hearts, is what John Calvin calls our factory of idols. We make everyday objects into the shrine of our affections. Now there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see this in Philippians uh in Philippians where where when Jesus comes back everybody will bow before him and 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 rightfully worship him. And for those that hadn't accepted Christ it's too late at that point. But Jesus will declare and demand his worship at that moment. But until then, we have a global problem. There's a problem that results, that, that results not only into our physical death, but our spiritual death. This problem is sin. Sin is when we rebel against God. It is our natural intention to glorify ourselves and not give any God glory to God. In fact, in Romans chapter one, which we've been in the last three weeks, Uh, Romans one shows that every person, no matter your background, no matter where you came from, no matter what country you're from, we have turned away from God and we have turned towards ourselves. We have an idol problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is a systemic problem that is woven into the tapestries of life and culture. It affects how we see people. It affects how we interact with things. It affects our worship. Our hearts are bent away from the things of God. And as a result, the wrath of God is poured out on all unrighteousness. Now, we're born not righteous. We are born sinners. We are, we are born living out our sin. And God's wrath must come. It, it, God is a just God. And, and sin is treason against the character and glory of God. And so the wrath of God comes to punish sin but the beautiful thing is this, and what we, what we see, what I believe is the capstone of Romans chapter one is Romans one sixteen, is that God is a God of second chances. God came, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, came to this world to give us a second chance to take on our sin, to take on the wrath of God upon himself so that we may live in the righteousness of God. In fact, Romans one sixteen says, again, we've we said this now the fourth week, so maybe you've memorized this by now, and if you haven't memorized it, Romans one sixteen. for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The answer to the universal problem of our sin is Jesus Christ, who has come to offer anybody and everybody salvation. The way that we receive that, to receive his grace, is by placing our faith and trust in him alone. Because of his grace, every person, no matter what country, no matter their background, no matter what, when they place their faith and trust in him, they are his. But when we deny Christ, or even as followers of Christ, when we decide that we just want to live in sin, it's a dangerous downward spiral. And that's what Paul wants to address with the Roman church and what he wants to address to us today. So let's turn to Romans 1, 21 through 25. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what was then created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Now, when I was leaving Las Vegas, uh, we were, Alice and I were in the queue to get onto the airplane and we overheard these two girls talking. This one girl was saying to her friend, I can't believe what you did this weekend. You don't even remember it, do you? And the other girl's like, no, I don't. It's like, man, you were so drunk and you were saying this. And then she started explaining what she did and I'm not gonna repeat it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, la 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 la, right? But the thing is, the next sentence was absolutely heartbreaking. She said to her friend, Man, I can't believe you did those things because I thought you were a Christian. And the friend tells her friend, well, yeah, but it was just a weekend. And it's like the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? My heart just sunk. I nudged It's like, can you believe that there? She's actually believing that phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But you know what? We live by that phrase maybe modified in so many different ways. We, we, we do this all the time. We make excuses for how we act, or, or living outside of God's will. We say, well, it's my birthday, or you know, it's my bachelor party, or I'm on vacation, or I'm with my friends. They're not offended. They're not offended what I say, or they're not offended if I do this. They're my friends, right? People may believe it or they rationalize that they can do whatever they want to do, live outside of God's truth because of the situation or the special day. But this, no matter what day or situation or who you're hanging out with, when you live outside of God's will, you are suppressing the truth. And this is the main idea this morning. When we suppress the truth, when truth is suppressed, sin is expressed. When truth is suppressed, sin is expressed. There is no asterisk saying, well, unless it's your birthday. There's no asterisk saying, well, unless you're with your friends that are comfortable. It's no asterisk saying, well, if you're on vacation or it's New Year's Eve, there's no asterisk. It's when truth is suppressed, sin is expressed. Sin is not just something that can be partitioned to a particular day or circumstance. When truth is suppressed, sin is expressed. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to look at the dangerous progression of sin uh, when it's left unchecked, what it will do to us and what it will do to other people around you. And so three areas I want to look at this morning is, number one is that sin starts by trusting falsehood. Secondly, that when sin progresses, it breaks boundaries. And finally, sin celebrates more sin. So let's take a look at the first one. Sin starts by trusting falsehood. Sin starts by Trusting falsehood. Paul's warning of the Roman church is found in verse 22. Let's take a look at this again. It's a small verse. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Many people in the Roman church, in the Roman society, they looked at facts apart from God and how they would process life. They thought they would do it in their own wisdom apart from God. And you know, church, there is a battle for your mind today. There's a battle, perhaps maybe more than your entire lifetime. There's a battle for your mind, for your affections. And the question is the the things that battle for your mind, the question is, how do you process all of that? How do you come to the point of what is truth? What is your authority when you look for truth? Is it the Bible? Is the Bible your authority of, of understanding God's will for your life or is it something else? Is it a podcast? Is it a celebrity? Is it a philosopher or a philosophy? Uh, is it your friends? Is it pop culture? Is it the current social cause? Is it politics? Where do you find your truth? If it isn't the word of God, if 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 God is not your absolute truth, then something else is driving your mind today. You see, to have a Christian worldview is one that holds God's word as the object uh, of of the standard of which we judge things, experiences, relationships, and morality. It's objective. It's it's not subjective. It's not an opinion. Uh, We can come to a black and white understanding of what the will of God is for our life, what his revealed will is for us. Uh, We don't bring meaning to the Bible, but rather the Bible brings meaning to us. And you know you've been in a Bible study like that before. Where you've been sitting in a Bible study, and people you get done, you, you read a passage, and people are like, "Okay, let's go around and just, let's just explain what that means to you." And 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 it shouldn't be like, "What's it mean to me?" Actually, what's it saying to us? Like, what's it teaching us? We don't bring meaning to the Bible; the Bible brings meaning to us. Great theologian Francis Schaeffer wrote a book over thirty years ago called The Christian Manifesto. Sounds militant, but it's but it but it's great. The Christian Manifesto, and he warned of the of adopting of of followers of Christ adopting a humanistic mindset. Uh, that is a mindset uh, that weighs things that weighs truth apart from God. Uh, humanism views humanity as the arbiter of right and wrong. It, it believes that our mind is the supreme court of figuring out truth. Now we need to use our mind, but our mind needs to understand what the will of God is. Our mind isn't the end all. This is what Francis Schaeffer says about humanism. He says, it removes the concept of absolute morality as integral to just law and replaces it with whatever is perceived best for society at the moment. Now, the wisdom of humanism is based on the idea that humans are inherently good. But Schaeffer's objection is that without the foundation of God's word, there's no objective way to determine what actually is good or not good. So instead of justice being absolute in humanism, justice or truth is seen as being arrived at as some sort of collective cultural conscience. Some people are okay with that. But the thing is, is that that means truth is always changing. But we know that God's word is unchanging, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we know that God gives us an objective way to understand his will. So church, I'm going to ask this question. If it's so imperative that we know God's revelation, how often are you in the Bible? Now I know I've asked this question a bunch lately, but I want to ask it again because this is something that we can be like, you're right, I don't want you just to agree with me, I want you to do something about it you all have smartphones, download the Bible app. If you don't like readings, I hear that sometimes, I just don't like to read, let it read it to you. You can even get a British voice, that's when I love hearing, all right? And just put it on double speed if you want it to read it to you quickly, all right? And so, however you can have it happen to you, Have the Bible be read to you. Have someone read it to you. Read the Bible. Read the Bible, okay? Because we need to be in the word of God because it is this biblical authority that allows us to understand uh, what the will of God is in our life. Because here's the deal. There's been a great shift in culture and even it's knocking at the doors of the American church that we're moving away from a biblical authority and more towards a humanistic authority, of, of more of like, let's just kind of get around and get an opinion of this and let's sprinkle some Jesus on it. Here's the deal. When we move away from a biblical authority, truth begins to change and it begins to be manifested in the way that we view sexuality, theology, eternity, and just basically the human experience. So either you believe you're bound by God's order or truth or you're determining truth. You see, the idea that truth is in the eye of the beholder is a cancer. It's infecting the very fabrics of culture. It's crept into the churches, as I said. It's crept into the minds of Christians. And instead of starting with the sentences of what does God say, many people are saying, well, I feel or I think God would do this. Or, "Or you know, I uh, this is not part of the narrative that I see going on. Or, you know what people whisper when they get away from God's word? They start saying, I don't know if I agree with this part of the Bible. Here's the deal. It's all or nothing. We either believe who God says he is, or we're forming God into our own image, into our our own aspirations or preferences. That's an idol. We want to worship and be led by the one true God. But here's the deal. The reason why we are tempted to being led by a humanistic mindset instead of a biblical mindset is that there are things in the Bible that run contrary to culture. Uh, and, and, and listen, sometimes we're being influenced by things of culture more than the Bible. So for, even for us, it just seems like a big jump to trust God in these certain areas. And so whether we're listening to articulate podcasts or arguments of a friend, or you've heard a really good one-liner on Twitter or meme on Snapchat, uh, we want to fit in. We want to fit in with the novel ideas of our friends and of this world. We want to be liked. And and the thing is, who doesn't want to be liked? I want to be liked. But here's the deal. Wanting to be liked, I believe, is one of the biggest idols we face as followers of Christ or just even in general, even if you're not a follower of Christ. We want to be liked and we will go to great lengths to be liked. Sometimes we want to be liked because we're feared that we'll be called a hater or a bigot. And listen, again, you don't want to be a hater or a bigot, but here's the deal. Sometimes we want to be liked. Sometimes we don't want to be called names and we will do it at the expense of suppressing the truth. Without appealing to the revelation of God's word, we won't know how to navigate and understand the surroundings of which we live in. And then as a result, we will adapt God's word with humanistic speculations Paul spoke to the church in Colossae and he warned them about moving away from a wisdom of the Lord. He says this in Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone fool you by senseless arguments. These arguments may sound wise, but they are only human teachings. They come from the powers of this world and not from Christ. Again, simply putting, sin starts by trusting falsehood. To be a fool is to make decisions based solely on your emotions or fear or pressure from others instead of relying on the revelation of God's word. So here's an equation I want you to figure out. You're gonna be one or the other. How the world lives by naturally is what I call, or what the Bible calls rather, uh, a wise fool. They're wise in the understanding of the world. People would see a person wise, but they're foolish in the things of God. But what God is telling us to do is to flip the equation. He wants us to be foolishly wise, foolish in the things of the world. When we proclaim Christ, you're going to seem foolish, foolish in the things of the world, but wise in the eyes of Christ. In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Let's look at verse 23. Again, Paul is talking to those that are intent on living in foolishness, so they exchange foolishness instead of living in wisdom, and so therefore, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, and four-footed animals and reptiles. You see, our hearts, again, they are naturally bent towards, not towards a relationship with God, but manufacturing a human religion to try to prove ourselves to God. This becomes an idol in itself. And so whether it's in Christianity or whether it's in a world religion, in fact, in the history of the world we see in the Old Testament, when people moved away from God, a real pure pursuit in the truth of God, they began to worship substitute gods to try to prove themselves. And with these substitute gods often came forbidden practices of cultic worship, often deviant uh, sexual experiences or drunkenness. In the days of Christ, uh, people worshipped stone eagles in Rome, or in Egypt, they worshipped the stork. Today, 7.7 billion people on earth claim to some form of religion. People are naturally, humanistically religious, but very few of those 7.7 billion would have a personal relationship with God. But you say in America. Well, you know what? I, I don't. I I haven't seen people bow down to to idols or to bow down to all these different gods. And I mean, maybe the one in Las Vegas. But I just don't see that. I mean, really. I mean, we're gonna bow down. People are gonna be tempted to, if they get foolish, to bow down to a uh, golden eagle or bow down to an eight armed goddess. We're much above that. Well, no, not really. We might not bow down to a physical object, uh, but we will proverbially bow down and worship things with importance that are only reserved for the worship of Jesus. Today, we are all at risk of making idols out of our status and culture, our wealth, or our pleasure, or our education, our acceptance or power. Today, there are millions of people that claim to be Christians, but don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. They claim to, to, to know Jesus, but yet they approach Jesus as uh, people would in pagan religion. Or they approach Jesus in some form of works-based religion, that they do certain things to hope to prove that they are good and that they deserve to go to heaven. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Meaning this, it's not about anything that we do. If we try to work our way to God, we're no different than any of the other world religions. And we're suppressing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus did for us already. We enter in the powerful personal relationship with Jesus by placing our faith and trust in what he did for us already on the cross and that he rose from the dead. But unfortunately, many people are getting busy with the things of Jesus or they're getting busy with life and sprinkling Jesus here and there. And when Jesus comes back or the day of judgment comes, they're going to realize they're not going to heaven. In fact, Jesus speaks of this scenario where people begin to beg him and they say, I prophesied in your name. I did all these things in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. My prayer, everybody that's watching this morning, that nobody would be in that predicament. Because in the, I believe, the scariest passage of scripture, those individuals thought they were Christians and they weren't. In order to be a Christian, in order to be a follower of Christ, you have to place your faith personally in Jesus. You have to ask him to be your savior and you have to place your full faith and trust that what he did on the cross is sufficient. It's not about your religion. It's about what he did for you already. But those that are intent on building up idols in their life, doing their own thing, it gets worse. Verse 24, therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served what had been created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. So when we suppress the truth, what we see here in this progression is that God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts. This is the first of three progressions we'll see this morning. That when we are insistent on sinning, when we're insistent on living in truth apart from God's truth, there'll be a point where God said, "Okay, fine, uh, you can do it. I'm gonna deliver you over. You can you can do what you want." Some of you are like, "Sweet." Well, no, it's not really like that. I mean, think of it this way: I, my kids love candy. They love candy. In fact, my three-year-old, Graham, if I let him uh, eat whatever candy he wanted, he would just tear through the whole bag. But I don't let him, I restrain him. But can you imagine hypothetically, I've never done this, but can you imagine hypothetically if just one day I'm like, you know what, I'm tired of him badgering me about that, so guess what, he can, I'm just gonna remove my restraint, he can have whatever he wants. Well, we know he'd get sick, we know uh, that it would be unhealthy for him. It wouldn't be good. He would have the ill effects of me withholding my, of no longer withholding my restraint against him. And so the thing is, is that when we are insistent on sinning, there'll be a time that God says, all right, fine, go and do it. And you may think like, sweet, I won the battle. I can do what I want, right? No, that's not it. Sin is so destructive. If you want to win the battle with God, you know, with God and when he withholds his restraint from you, that's not winning the war. It will eat your soul alive because sin is warring at your heart. It's a progressive downward spiral because when we suppress the truth, sin is expressed. When truth is suppressed, sin is expressed. Sin's starting point is when we begin to trust falsehood and it progresses. When God gives us over to the desires, it then progresses progresses to breaking boundaries. And that's our second point. Sin progresses by breaking boundaries. Again, in verse 24, we see that God removed his restraint by giving us over to the desires of our hearts. And we see he again withholds, he begins to remove further restraints. In Romans 1 26, it says, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. When you're intent on making God in your own image, or that you have become the God of your life, making all the decisions in your life, your passions or what you become passionate about will inevitably go outside the will of God. And one of the clearest and most common results of removing God as the source of truth in your life is that we develop unnatural sexual patterns in our life, whether that be pornography or adultery, sex outside of marriage, or the redefinition of marriage. In fact, Paul gets very specific here. Romans one twenty six. he said this is what happened. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Now, this is one of the many passages on homosexuality in the Bible, where the Bible prohibits uh, the practice of homosexuality. Now, we've spoken on this subject exclusively on previous messages that you can find at Kenosha.Church. And so this isn't the overall intent of the message today. However, this shows up when we begin to think that we're our own God, that we can do whatever we want to do. Our sexual ethics uh, break all and every known boundary. So Scripture is clear, and we need to be faithful to God's word. Uh, now, here's the deal. I know that people are all over the place in culture today, and, and some churches have avoided this subject. And I don't want to avoid this subject, but I, I want to lean into it knowing that there needs to be compassion and care for those that are struggling with this. I've had friends who have had to personally face these issues. Some have accepted this lifestyle as normal and have walked away from uh, the revelation of God, and others have chose to wrestle with it. and They've chosen to place uh, the, the God as their leader and, and, and let God lead them through what they struggle with inside. And so they're choosing to live by God's plan instead of their desires. Now, some people would argue, well, if you're not living by the desires that are in you, aren't you denying yourself? Aren't you not being real to yourself? I mean, love is love or, or, or feel, live however you feel. But those phrases that are on billboards and are on memes, here's the deal. It's not about what we feel. It's about what he says. It's about what God says about the issue. And that is that can be hard. The passages, This passage we're looking at this morning is critical in the debate about homosexuality. And what is clear is that the LGBTQ issues are not new to our era. In fact, they had to navigate these things in, in the Roman era. Now, Paul describes these desires, these having a same-sex relationship or same-sex attraction as unnatural. Uh, that word natural is from the Greek word physis, is which we get the word physics. And so the physics of same-sex relationships is not in line with God's created order, the physics of his created order of one man and one woman in uh, sexual union and marriage. In fact, God's created order for sexuality is expressed clearly in the creation account in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We see here clearly from the text, he created male and female distinctly. And in fact, male and female can be given in marriage. And we see this in Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. That is sexual union in marriage. God created sex to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage of one man and one woman. Now, when we live unrestrained in in sin and, and, and idols in our life, we will jump in the seat of creator. We will begin to create what God has already created. We'll undo his creation and we'll begin to create what we want. And so instead of there being male or female, we will then say, okay, you know what? We're going to create whatever gender that we want or, or marriage will define what marriage is all about. Or, or if marriage isn't convenient, well, if somebody else comes in, then maybe we can go with them. And, and you know what? Even just, I think about a week ago, there's a city in Massachusetts that just legalized that you can have more than two people in a marriage. Why? Because here's the deal. The core to all sin is that we want to play God. Sin breaks boundaries, and it shows up specifically in how we treat the issue of sex. Now, I want to say this to those today that may be struggling with same-sex attraction. First off, I want you to know this. God loves you. Uh, you are not defined uh, by your desires or your feelings. So we are to be defined that we are made in the image of God and where we reflect His goodness and His revelation. You are made for God and by God. This is where your identity starts. And so, if you're not a follower of Christ, even and and you don't and and you you uh, have same sex attraction, I just want you to know that God has made you not for that. He has made you for Him. He hasn't made us for anything, for that matter, other than Him. Sin is the starting point. It trusts falsehood and it progresses to breaking boundaries. And third, if we continue in our sin, sin celebrates sin. Sin brings on more sin. Let's take a look at this. Verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God haters, arrogant, proud, and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. What a downward spiral. In fact, let's review this downward spiral. Take a look at this. We have three downward spirals. Verse 24, God delivered over To do the sinful desires of your heart, verse 26, God delivered over to do the disgraceful passions of your heart. But verse 28, God delivered you over to a corrupt mind. It goes from desires and then you go to your passions and then your mind becomes depraved. This is a level of when God removes His restraint. We don't know when this will happen to people. There's not like a a sure way that oh they've they've hit level three. It just we just, we can just know that when we choose not to follow God, uh, it, there's there's consequence. And so, verse twenty-eight, we see that God delivered these individuals over to a corrupt mind. And, and let me tell you this, this is any sin. This isn't just uh, the sin of uh, uh, sexual sin. That, that that could be it. That, that often happens within sexual sin when you, when you walk away from the things of God, but it can be anything. And we've noticed this right here in our passage, that it manifests its way in 21 different listed vices that are not intended to be a- exhaustive by any means. It just shows that when we choose to live our own truth, there's gonna be a quick breakdown of societal and community order, uh, that it results in harm done to maybe our economic economics, our society, or even our family. Instead of following God's clear teaching, these individuals continue to do them. And not only do they do them, and they, they continue to add sin upon sin, things that are outside the will of God, they begin to cheer others on. They don't want to drink alone. They don't want to drink sin alone. They want people to join in their party. It's kind of like this. I know Tom Dreyer's gonna absolutely love that I'm sharing this story, but this is a confession story. Um, Whenever we eat pizza, I always ask other people, and usually Tom's eating pizza with me, I always ask other people, hey, how many pieces have you had? Now you might think like, oh, well, Andy's just asking because he wants to make sure everything's fair. No, the real reason why I'm asking is because I wanna know if I can have another piece. If anybody else hasn't had all that, you know, tons of pieces, I don't wanna be a glutton, right? But if someone else has had four, like if Tom's had four, well, then I could have four, right? Well, then there's those times where Tom's only had two and I want four. So then I catch myself saying, Tom, have a third piece. Hey, Tom, I'll go and get you a couple more slices, right? Because I want to feel okay about eating four slices. Listen, here's the deal. That's tongue in cheek, but we do that with sin. And the thing is, is that when God delivers us over to a depraved mind, uh, to a mind that's that's bent on sin, we want others to be with us. And we just don't sin alone. We celebrate sin and say, come on, let's do this together. We must resist trying to be our own judge of what is right or wrong. We must ask God, God, what is your will? Lead us in this way. And for us to really ask that question of God, how do you lead us? How do you lead us away from the idols in our life? How do we lead us to your truth? We got to ask this question What is the idol in your life? Is it porn? Is it relationships or bad relationships? Is it being proud? Is it being untrustworthy? Is it being greedy? Is it being gossipy? Is it not trusting God with, with your life? What is your idol? You see, how we address our idol is the same no matter whatever sin it is. How we address our idols is this. It's acknowledging the sin before God and saying, God, I need you to step in this area of my life. So here are three ways that we can get right with God and give him our idols. It's repentance, it's confessing sin. Confession of sin is important for us, if you're not a follower of Christ, to confess your sin so that you receive Jesus into your life. But we continually confess sin, not so that we are re-saved. Once you're saved, you're saved, right? Once, Once Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven. But the thing is, we continually confess our sins so that we are walking in right relationship, that we are that we are walking in, in not falsehood, that we are, we are making sure that we are aligned to the things of God. So here are three ways to confess our sin, no matter what sin it is. Number one, confess you're sorry for living by your own desires. When you realize that there's something in your life or there is a, a desire or passion that's outside the will of God, we need to confess to God audibly that we are sorry for living outside his desires. Number two, we need to confess you are sorry for trying to be the authority, for being the Lord for trying to be God, right? We're lousy gods, by the way. Number three is declare the Lordship of Jesus. That is his leadership, that he's in charge, that we are actually going to follow him. These are three things that we need to do each and every time when we realize there's a sin, there's an idol in our life. So let's do that right now. Let's ask Jesus to step in and remove the idols of our life. What are they? Name them, write them down. What are they? So Father, I pray that you would remove the idols of our life. That God, that if we're on a downward spiral of sin, you know what God, you, you, just as, just as we're sinking, you're there to pull us out and pull us up and out of the downward spiral. God, I pray that today this would be victory for those that have an idol in their life and they need to remove that idol. As we continue to pray and as you continue, to let the Holy spirit search out what is what idols in your life that needs to be removed. I want to speak to those today that maybe you don't know if you're a follower of Christ or maybe, you know, you're not a follower of Christ. You're checking out a manual for the first time and you've never been to church or this is, a, this is the first time in a long time. And here's the deal. I wanna go back to that you can't receive Jesus by trying to be good. You may have grown up in a tradition where you have to do certain things and then you get to heaven. But the thing is, is that there's nothing that we can do to get us to heaven by our own works. We need a rescue and here's the reason why. God created you to have a relationship with him. He created you in his image to reflect his goodness. But the problem is we sinned. We brought in other idols into our life and we are now separated from Almighty God. Now, our natural response is, is we want to prove ourselves to God, right? We want to prove ourselves. But the thing is, that's an idol on ourselves because there's nothing in ourselves that can prove ourselves worthy to God's perfection. Now, God, he would have been just by just saying, you know what, y'all messed up. See ya. But he is full of love and mercy that he provided a second chance. That second chance is Jesus. Jesus, fully God and fully human, came to this earth to do what we couldn't do. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. It means spiritually, not perish spiritually, die spiritually. Whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus alone? Have you ever personally said, Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive me my sins. I need you to step into my life. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Have you ever personally asked Jesus to be your savior? Because guess what? When you do, that's it, you're forgiven. You're saved. That's all you need to do. Come as you are. But you don't know. You listed a bunch of sins that are in my life right now. You don't, I gotta get those cleaned up. No, you don't. Come as you are. You don't know my background. You don't know what I started. Jesus does. Come as you are. It is not about what you bring to the table that Jesus isn't able to take care of it. He is. It's not about our background. It's coming as we are and Jesus taking you where he's going. He is mighty to save place your faith and trust in him right now. So Father, I pray for those that are saying yes to you today, that they want to know that they're going to heaven, that they want to place their personal faith and trust in you alone. If you are placing your your faith and trust in Jesus today, just pray with me, just pray out loud. This prayer doesn't save you, I'm just helping you communicate to God and asking him to step into your life right now. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong in my life, I've sinned, and I need you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I place my full faith and trust in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. If you ask Jesus to step in your life and forgive you, you, you've placed your full faith and trust that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, the Bible says you have been born again And now you can live your identity of what you were made for. And that is a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. So let's give it up for those that said yes to Jesus today. Make sure that you let one of our moderators know uh, that if, uh, or you can click the hand at the bottom and just anonymously just celebrate with us that you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And know this, that this is just the beginning and the best is yet to come.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at Kenosha.Church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Kenosha.Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.